Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. The whole atmosphere of that test from the opening ceremonies to the end, they make it known that that you're not, you know, you're in the top 1% of the 1% of the 1% of dogs. Do you have trouble physically making it through long hunts? Is your dog always giving you that angry look telling you to keep up? Train your dog, but now it's time to train yourself. Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is the company for any hunter that is looking for an effective fitness routine to get healthier and be able to hunt longer and harder. This company has merged fitness and the passion of hunting to help people like you and me continue to do what we love. From the Rockies to the Smokies and every field or prairie in between, this company can get you ready to go longer, cover more ground, and recover quicker. Go to RockyMountainHuntStrong.com and see their program for yourself. Use a discount code GDIY to save 15% and get to work. Train harder, hunt stronger, and recover faster. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. Austin's back with us this week. Made it back. You survived. Back again, baby. Didn't miss us too much, did you? I, I like the splice in that Joe did. <laughs> I felt like we were meat eater for a second with Yanni. You know, Joe just, he was like, man, we can't get a week without having Austin on the podcast somehow. I don't know. I guess, did you, Joe, I guess you had that. I didn't know you kept that, 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 uh, I don't even think when we recorded that originally, I'm here for the podcast. Yeah, When we were, when we originally recorded that, Joe was like, man, you can't say that at the beginning of the podcast. We're going to restart. But I guess he kept the clip. Oh, well, uh, you want to tell everybody what we have this week, or do you want me, whatever? It doesn't matter, man. I, we got an awesome guest, though, I can tell you yeah, that. He bailed us out. We actually were recording with another guest, and something came up and fell through, and we try and stay a couple weeks out, but uh, the holidays just kind of had us backtracking, and uh, he fell through, and Charles Coulter came to the rescue for us. He's the man. Very knowledgeable guy. He is uh, breaking down the invitational test for us. So he went over running his dogs in the invitational. Uh, he's ran two dogs. 
um, won successfully and, and gave some training tips over the different portions of the Invitational to uh, basically help all of us that are trying to get there one day kind of know what to do from the beginning. It's the end goal for, for everybody getting into NAPTA. And so it's, it's, you know, we've talked about NA and utility a lot, but we wanted to get somebody experienced in the Invitational to actually talk about it because we're not experiencing that. One day we will be, just not right now. That's right. So Charles is also a uh, NAVDA judge. Um, he's he's basically running – well, he has a kennel as well. He, he gives his information. Is it Honor Point Kennels, I believe, is the name of it. Um, uh, so he's very active in this. He runs short hairs, uh, but he also trains a lot of different variety of breeds of pointing dogs and versatile dogs. Um, he's running in – in training, I should say, in retriever clubs and uh, AKC pointing dog uh, hunt test and, and also doing the NAVDA game too. Yeah, he puts these versatile dogs through some versatile training and that's what they need. But uh, yeah, so you'll hear a great episode from him. We appreciate him coming on, especially last second. I think it turned out great. And uh, But yeah, only other thing I think we have to touch on this week is the Instagram giveaway. New Year's is coming up. You got to get in shape. You sick of looking like a spilled tub of ice cream, feeling fat, can't get through the hunt. Check out Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong. Follow <laughs> us on Instagram. Get along on the uh, giveaway. And not only do you get a chance at winning an actual personalized training program from Zach himself, but there's some shirts, hats, bumper stickers, all that jazz. Coffee. But the coffee you want to touch on the coffee yeah shotgun dog coffee from our from our good buddies over there and uh they gave us a sample of the new double barrel the dark roast it's awesome uh we had some of it i had it two weekends ago uh i just love it man just just straight black coffee yeah Mm, can't get enough of it (laughs) so uh got got some of that that we're giving away too yeah, Good so, little mix of stuff. So hit up our Instagram, follow the instructions on the post, get your chance to win. It's uh, There's a lot of good stuff on that package, and, and for real, Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is for real. He comes up with great training programs. Me and Joe are killing it on that, or he's really killing us, whatever way you want to look at it. And uh, also, if you don't want to do the Instagram giveaway and you're still interested in the personal training giveaway, we're doing a giveaway for just our Patreon users. So, uh, again, all this is going to be announced at the new year because, you know, New Year's resolution, guys. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) So, all right. Well, uh, without further ado, we're going to get to Charles. Thanks for checking in, guys, and uh, we'll get back to you next week. All right. See y'all. Enjoy. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. 
Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. If you're looking for new apparel that works better for you in the field, be sure to check out the amazing products at Duck Camp. They're a direct-to-consumer company that prides itself in producing high-quality gear for every type of outdoorsman, including wing shooters. Unlike your shooting, their Upland shirts are a can't-miss. They're available in different weights to make sure you get what you need on your hunt. Check them out through the link on our website, gundogityourself.com, and if you purchase something, please be sure to tell them GDIY sent you. Hey everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY. Me and Austin are joined this week with Charles Coulter, the uh, the NAVDA guru that uh, blasts away all these tests and bragging rights. That's what we're aspiring to do. We're trying to be like Charles over here. <laughs> Charles, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I don't know that you're... you. By the end of this, let's see if you still aspire to be me or not. <laughs> <laughs> We just we just need to get our dogs to uh, the Invitational. That's what that's what we're trying to do, at least. Well, it took me uh, nine tries. So uh, nine, wow! I think I counted up. I I run ten utility tests. So uh, <laughs> okay, how many? Somewhere, how many dogs out of those? Uh, three. Okay. Cool. So uh, yeah, it was good. How many times did you run it before you you passed the first time? Um, I passed the first time I got a two in healing. The very first time I ran utility, that's why I didn't get a prize one. Oh, I'm telling you, healing, it gets you. <laughs> that's what got me. Well, I got a yep. prize three in healing, so any, or scout in, did. In my utility. Dog. In utility, <laughs> yeah. So, well, let's. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a unique club to be in to, to lose a prize one because of healing, but it's a rather, it's a lot bigger club than you would think. Yeah. Well, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, so let's just go ahead and jump on into this. Tell everybody where you're from. Uh, I live in Des Moines, Iowa, which is about smack dab center of the state, um, state capital. Um, lived here basically since I was one years old. I was I was born in St. Louis, and then uh, my dad got a job and moved up here and been here ever since. Awesome. So how long have you been hunting, and uh, what got you into bird dogs? So... When my grandpa was alive, uh, I did stuff with him, a lot more turkey and deer. He did have um, a pointer, and then his brother had a setter. Um, I never got to go hunting with them, uh, but he had a farm in northern Missouri, and he would set up a a little training area, and he'd buy some quail and uh, train his pointer there. And then uh, I did some turkey hunting and some deer hunting down on that farm. Um, I didn't get into bird hunting until I actually stopped hunting altogether for quite a while because I just didn't have anybody to go with, didn't know anybody up here that did it. And um, I got into deer hunting with a group of guys, and just so happens that group of guys had short hairs as well. And we had a good time deer hunting, then it rolled into bird hunting, and um, kind of their their quality and lack of quality led me into – Doing all the right things supposedly, and, and getting a, finding the right breeder, and um, uh, actually deciding that I was going to do hunt tests. Um, so that happened in about '09. I kind of got back in, really back into hunting big time. Um, and my oldest short hair uh, is six, so almost seven. Okay. So that's kind of when I got my first dog. So I hunted a couple seasons with their dogs. Um, 
and just kind of got a feel for it and really liked it and then did a ton of research, made a lot of phone calls, um, ended up uh, a friend of mine had a dog trained at Standing Stone Kennels in Kansas and he went to go pick up his dog and I said, well, I want to go out there and check them out. And they put down a, a five-month-old and a six-month-old puppy and said, here you guys go, gave us a couple guns and said, go have some fun. And, you know, I'm used to my buddy's dogs where they go, the dog's birdie, hurry up. And, and you just have to run up there and hope. <laughs> Um, and, and also if it's an ice bird, it's hurry up before the dog touches it. Cause they yeah. rip all the feathers out of it. So, you know, I, I, they put down these two puppies and they pointed and let me flush the bird and they backed and retrieved the hand. And I, so I was hooked hardcore after that. So they got three dogs. I got three dogs from them. So, wow. So you have all um, standing stone dogs then? Oh, I, we have six short hairs right now. Uh, three of them are from standing stone. Um, Arrow is uh, from uh, Vom Doors Bar Kennel in New York. Uh, Mako is uh, one of our dogs that we bred. And then my girlfriend got just got a puppy. She's five months old. Her name's Tipsy um, from Trillium Short Hairs up in Wisconsin. Awesome. So we, we got six in the house. So you you've uh, you started out with short hairs, and you just rolled right on through. You hadn't messed around with any other breeds? Uh, no, I do. Tra- I do train quite a bit. Uh, small Munsterlanders for another breeder um, who's in uh, Western Iowa. So, pretty much all training season have a small Munsterlander in the house too. There you go. Yeah, the short hairs like and Munsties. Yeah, that's a it's an exclusive group right there. <laughs> We're part of the same group there. Uh, so, yeah. where did when did Navda come into play? How long you've been involved with Navda? So when I when I got that first puppy from Cat and Ethan, they I, I talked to them and said I want to do something. I was actually planning on AKC, um, just because when you do a bunch of research, that's kind of the thing that comes up is AKC hunt tests and field trials. Um, and they were really trying to get into NAVDA themselves, and so um, they they basically it was kind of, it was like a requirement, quote unquote. And uh, I ran. Trigger at six months old in natural ability, and she got a one in track because she would much rather search than track. And um, I was hooked. So uh, from then on, I pretty much I don't think there's been a year since that I haven't run at least a puppy. So, so are you running any AKC test at all, or is it all NABDA? Yep, I I usually do. So. Um, which I'm sure we'll get into when I'm preparing for the invitational, especially I run AKC because of the brace work master master hunters. Uh, depends on the dog, uh, arrow, the dog I ran this year, I ran her in senior cause they're in the spring. Her backing was more lacking than when I ran timber timbers backing was really solid. So I didn't need to worry about, uh, being able to woe her into a back because in senior you can woe into a back and that was arrows weakness. So I ran arrow in senior and, we we got a cut. We got I think three passes, and she came into season. And then the basically the AKC testing season for me was over just because of heat. There's not very many of them in the Midwest um, before the Invitational, so I never. I'll probably finish that in the spring with her, just because I could probably run her in Master now, but I'll probably at least finish her senior. Right. Uh, so, are you a judge in NAVDA? Yep, I uh, became a judge last year, almost a year ago to the day. It'll be in January. I became a judge. Um, I did a pretty hardcore apprenticeship, judged over 200 dogs as an apprentice, um, then was approved uh, last year at the annual meeting and been judging this year. 
quite a bit more than I anticipated, but it's a, uh, it's a ton of fun and I love getting out and uh, especially new handlers, just the, my first NAVDA experience, um, the judges were super awesome. I was just there watching and, and the test secretary told them that I was there to watch cause I'm running next weekend. And they actually took me aside and, uh, put out some birds and, and walked with me and kind of gave me some pointers and some tips and helped me a ton, make, took a lot of the nerves away. Yeah. And so kind of my goal, like I really, really like new handlers. So, um, that's a big reason that I wanted to become a judge is, is, um, got me hooked. Um, having that great judging team. So that's a great reason. So the 200 dogs that yeah. you talked about judging, that's pretty typical. I mean, I guess 200 may not be, but I know NAVDA, we're not apprentice judges or anything like that, but I know it's a pretty rigorous uh, apprenticeship that you have to go through to be able to qualify as a judge. So is that normal? Can you talk about kind of the experience that you had there? Yeah, so to, you need to, to become an apprentice, you need to run a utility dog and pass it. Um, and you need to have had a handler's clinic within the last three years uh, when you're applying to become an apprentice. Um, so you do those two things, and then you need, uh, with your application to become a, uh, an apprentice judge, you have to have two letters of recommendation. And then uh, basically you'll get a phone call. They'll go through some things. And then you, if you're approved, and you can start apprenticing. Um, it kind of is up in the air. 200 is a lot. I kind of went a little crazy, probably. You know, there were some months. <laughs> you just that like I was it doing, so much. You just you know, want to keep doing it. Yeah, I was doing. I probably made a mistake the 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 first the year I apprenticed. I, I did way too much. I, I ran three dogs in. You ran invitational. I ran a UPT dog. I apprenticed. You know, there was there was multiple months where I was gone three weekends out of the month apprenticing, uh, dragging dogs with me, trying to beg somebody from the test. Uh, come out and shoot a couple birds for me because I'm trying to work on steadiness while I'm apprenticing, and I probably did a little too much. But I, I would say 200 is a, is a lot. Um, it, it all depends. It's, it's different for every person. You get an evaluation, so um, you know as your ability to read dogs and apply the NAV to rule book, the aims and rule, yeah, the uh, yeah, they, I want to make sure I say it right. The, the aims programs. Best rules is what it says on the cover, but the aims and rules. So applying them, um, you know, you get an evaluation, and as you get better and better scores, getting um, enough high scores in a row, you start to become ready. And um, there really isn't – they give you some guidelines, but there isn't a set number. There isn't a set amount of time. Um, I think they did change it uh, when I was mid-apprentice that they want you to go to basically two testing seasons now and not do it in a year. Um but they, they have a guideline for dogs, but for some people that's going to be more and for some people it's going to be less. It all, it all depends on, you know, especially if you have a lot of experience reading dogs, it can really help a lot. And right. just getting, you know, applying the rules from there on, you know, and some people know the rules really well and they just need a little help with the dogs. So it just depends. And some people just, it just clicks. And but was, there is some guidelines. Yeah. I, I, I think it's like a hundred and, I think they want 125 at minimum with, and I, I, I don't quote me, but I think it's something like 30% of those being utility. Yeah. Um, so you're just the overachiever. Right there. There. I love it. I'm telling you. Absolutely. It's a fun, it's fun. And, and every chapter you go to is just like your home chapter. It's all the same people. They're all awesome. 
Um, it's really uh, it's really interesting and something that's pretty unique to NAVDA from what I've seen from doing NASTRA and AKC field trials and hunt tests and retriever tests. Nothing is like NAVDA. So. so are you doing retriever tests too? Yeah, I, I, I haven't trained much with them this year, but the past couple of years I've trained with the Mid-Iowa Retriever Club a little bit. Um, and again, that was kind of getting prepped for the Invitational. Um, and then I've trained with Anara Club some. Um, most of the time, I haven't been able to test yet just because of timing of, of yeah. NAVDA stuff. They always seem to be there testing me at the same time. But I train with the clubs, um, use their guidance and experience. It's it's a whole other level when you when, – um, they set up a 350 yard mark. It's pretty cool when you can have a short hair nail that. So, yeah. Uh, Do you have guys kind of look at it, you it, funny when you show up with the short hair at these things? They don't look as funny at you when you get out of the truck. They look funny when your dog does it, like a triple <laughs> water entry retrieve. That's I when they understand. look at you and go, wait a minute, what do you do with these dogs? Yeah. You know, it, it's, that's more when they look at you funny, but. Well, heck yeah. Sounds like you have a well rounded kind of training program for your dogs and real versatile. And, uh, I guess that kind of leads into what we're here to talk about tonight with the invitational test and kind of the, uh, a lot of people that start testing in, in NAVDA, this is kind of the end goal. So, uh, with as much experience you've had, do you want to kind of break down all the, uh, sections of the invitational test? Yeah. So, um, we'll start with field work. It's, uh, it's an hour long in the field. So it's, it's as double as long as your utility test. Uh, and you also have a brace mate. So that's a, a big change uh, for a lot of people that are, are coming up to specifically just the NAVDA system. Having a brace mate uh, is probably the biggest wild card for a lot of people. Um, same amount of gunners. They'll have three judges. Generally, um, there's going to be a photographer. I don't think there was a single field without one past couple years. And then there's usually somebody observing from one of the other handlers. So a lot of people, you have an extra handler and a photographer. Um, usually the, uh, otherwise it's pretty much the same as far as steadiness goes, retrieving goes, it's all judged pretty judged the same as utility. Um, backing is the only thing or honoring. And that um, the easiest way to describe it is just to try to think of it as pointing if if your dog sees another dog on point and creeps, 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 creeps right up to it, just like a dog that smells a bird and you watch them creep, 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 creep all the way up, that's not what you want. You The ideal pointing situation would be smell a bird, instantly stop, um, and same with backing. So that's a – some people kind of struggle with how to think of that, and that's an easy way to think of it. Just think of it as pointing. As soon as your dog sees the other dog, it should stop. Point the point. Um Yep, pretty much. Anybody that hunts with, you know, friends or or has multiple dogs should, I would hope, expect it. It's one of the two things that when I'm hunting that I don't have much leeway on. It better be retrieved to hand and better honor because otherwise you're going to bust the bird. So um, that's pretty much the field. It's, I mean, it it sounds simple and it gets way more complicated because there's a (laughs) lot going on, but um then it moves on to water. So you have the double mark, which is also where you do your healing. Um, all healing is off lead at the invitational and you're judged on your obedience throughout the day. So back to the field a little bit. Um, there's a lot of setting up stuff like, Oh, this dog's on point, bring your dog around or, Hey, your dog's on point. We need you to wait, you know, 
we're going to bring this dog over here. Um, a lot of go over there in the shade with your dog, cool off. We're going to get this dog on point. So there's a lot of obedience, a lot of your dog's healing at your side or sitting, um, a lot of healing in and out of water tubs because you're around another dog. You don't want to create any, um, you know, any situations where anybody gets a little testy because they got bumped into. So at the water, you have a double mark, which is going to be, um, it's generally like your utility mark. Um, it's approximately 50 yards is going to be your first uh, mark. And there's going to be a second one that cuts across that called a wiper bird. So it's going to cut it, come across and it's about a 20 yard retrieve roughly. Um, they're wingers and ducks. So don't get too hung up on the distances. Um, and then uh, you're going to swing and fire on both of those, just like you would in, uh, in your utility test. They have to go get the close bird first because it's a simulated cripple. So that's the first bird that you would want picked up in a hunting scenario. They pick that bird up and then retrieve it to hand. And without touching them, you can you can talk to them just like anything. It'll be judged accordingly. And you get them lined up and have them go get the long bird. Once they get that long bird picked up, then you're going to, again, off-leash heel out of the area. And then once you get, they, they paint lines and circles. They make it really clear for you because usually your head is way somewhere else. You're not thinking about what you're doing. You're more nervous than anything. So they have a lot of lines painted and it's really clear for you. And once you're done with that, then you can leash back up and, and head on to the blind retrieve. Um, the blind retrieve also has off lead healing where you're going to take the, uh, the lead off. You're going to heal down to the water. Your healing score in the Invitational comes from the double, but your healing score at the blind is also taken into account for your obedience. Um, so it can it can definitely affect you if you have a dog that heals poorly. Um, so at the blind retrieve, it's roughly 100 yards. It all depends. I think this year was like something like 95 or 96. In years past, I've seen it like 105. So it just kind of depends on the body of water. Um, the perfect scenario is you heal down, you set your dog up, send them with your command. They go across, pick up the duck, bring it back, and then deliver however you would like them to deliver, whether you swing into a heel or present to the front. And then you off-lead heel from there to the honor of the retrieve. So this is to simulate a uh, duck hunting with your buddies, and they have a dog. So your dog's going to get set up. Again, they have a circle painted, say, put your dog here in this area, you know, nobody's going to penalize you if your foot's out, but this is where you should set up. Uh, when you're ready, you signal that you're ready. They launch a duck. Another uh, dog handler and dog is are to your left, roughly or right, just depends on the setup, but they're roughly about 25, 30 feet from you. That handler shoots at the duck, and just like in utility, there's a pause. He sends his dog or she sends her dog for the retrieve. They get the retrieve, and then you go to your dog, and you heal again off-leash away from that area and out. Um, so that's usually that's the end of the day. That's the three three parts of the test. There's four main things, though, but they kind of count the blind and honor in one. Um, so usually when you get done with that, you take a giant deep breath and try to stop shaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you mentioned there's a lot of obedience throughout the day. You're in and in and out of the field, go to the shade, heal here, heal, heal there. Just describe for everybody just the overall kind of feel and environment of the, the test day. Because it's, you know, like the utility test, that's all we've tested is the utility and NA. It's a lot of hurry up and wait. You're waiting around. Is 
throughout the day, is that kind of how the invitational is as well? You're, you're, you know, balls to the wall doing a, a section of the test and then are you waiting around or are you just going straight to the next session? So it kind of depends on where you land in the running order. Um, because there's so many moving parts, you have brace mates, you have, um, people that ride together, you know, two, if two guys come from California, you know, the test secretary, um, it, God bless her, how they figure this thing out. I don't know. Uh, there's so many moving parts. Uh, so it all depends. Uh, the first time I ever ran it, I was done at 11 o'clock. I, I didn't sit for more than, I bet I didn't sit for more than 15 minutes at any, at any given event. Um, the second time it took a little longer. It was like one something and, and, it's just the way that it ended up. So um, when you get in the morning, you don't know who you're braced with um, and you don't know what you're going to do first until the day of. So when you show up in the morning, you just know what day you run. So you show up the morning I ran on Thursday. Um, you show up and you get your running order assignment. Then that's when you find out who your bracemate is. And that's also when you find out if you're going to do water work first. And if you're doing water first, which water, the blind or the double, and then, or if you're going to do field first, uh, so depending on where you end up, if you kind of end up in the middle of the pack on both, then you can have a pretty hectic day, but it's all in the middle of the day. If you end up first in the field, depending on how the fields are running, you may show up to your blind water and there's nobody there yet. And they say, Hey, we got a spot. Let's go. So they're going to take you as you come. They try to keep you in order, but they're not going to, they don't want everybody sitting around for 30, 40 minutes waiting on somebody to show up. If you're there, you can go. So it kind of depends on the day. And, and sometimes if there's a problem in a certain part of the test um, at Ohio, uh, the wind was swirling really bad the day I ran. And so they were having to move the honor back and forth, um, basically left and right of the blind as you're looking from the send. And that can take some time. So there was a little bit of a traffic jam there. I think we waited about an hour and a half hour and 45 minutes to run there, but otherwise we were pretty quick. So isn't there a rule, like if you were, you're talking about the guys that came from California, you know, hypothetically, they're not even allowed to like get on the invitational grounds and, and train prior to actually running. Is that right? I've, I heard something like that for all these folks that, you know, maybe traveling for a few days, like they can't even get out and run the dogs when they get there. Nope. There, there is a training area specifically for shooting birds. And then there's also exercise areas that are just there for, for free airing. Okay. So well, you can train. Yep. You can, the chapter actually, um, they, there's a, there'll be a contact. You can order training birds. So there'll be birds available for you. Um, and there's always people up there. I, I think the day we got there, we got there on a Wednesday, um, when we traveled to Ohio this year and, and we showed we went there and I just free ran, um, cause I was running the next day and I did not need anything to happen. So <laughs> I just took her on a free run. And then, uh, I just gunned for a couple people that, there was some people that had been on the road for quite a while and their dogs were itching to do something. So there's always somebody sitting up there with a bag of birds saying who wants to run, who wants, you know, so no, you can run where, where it comes from, where you can't train on the grounds is like, so I'm a member of Hawkeye chapter, which is where the invitational will be in 2020. And, um, after March, I can't remember the day in March. It might be March 1st. I can't train on any of the grounds that Hawkeye has. Um, I know where the blind's going to be. I can't train there. I can't train on the double. I can't train in any of the fields. Gotcha. Um, can't do like anything. That. That's where the no training comes from. Okay. Yeah. So that... like the Buckeye guys can't train on any of their grounds either. Um, when they have the invitational out there. 
Yeah. That makes sense. No, that's why I asked the question because when I had heard that before, I was like, man, that sucks for these guys that are traveling, you know, multiple days not to be able to do that. But, yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds like they've got that set up where they accommodate everybody, which is great. So let's just jump yeah, on they actually. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, let's just go on and jump on into, into your first test. And, and the first time you're running this, you qualify your dog through you getting your prize one in utility. Uh, did you have some kind of training plan already in your mind when you're starting to prepare for the uh, invitational or were you just kind of making it up as you went along? Kind of describe that, how you prepared to get your dog ready. So the first dog I ran, which was Timber, who was the second oldest. If I start talking about dogs, it'll get really confusing, but cause I have so many, but, uh, she's the second oldest. Um, and her field work was, was pretty much master ready as a little tiny puppy. She was back in cows and horses and rocks and weird looking clumps of grass. She just backed everything. So I knew in the field, I was be pretty good. Um, her retrieving can be a little sloppy. She's a little greedy and she'll kind of want to avoid me a little bit. I knew I would, I was going to have that problem. And I also knew that as I applied pressure and there's a lot of pressure that goes into this, um, I knew that would get worse. Um, how bad I didn't really know until unfortunately it was too late. So I, I knew field wise, I was pretty good. I'd already been using her as a bracemate, um, helping at the Heartland chapter and at the Hawkeye chapter for some members. Uh, so I kind of knew where I was there. And then my oldest dog, I actually had trained four hand signals as far as blind retrieves go. And she had done all of that. And I said, well, I'll just do all that with Timber. That was, you know, trig was easy. I'll just do it with Timber. Two different dogs, not easy. <laughs> so I I went into it with the plan of I knew the blind would probably be the hardest thing. Um, you know, we asked these dogs to be completely independent on a duck search, and we trained that for – I mean, I trained Timber for two years on that, working on it. And then all of a sudden I say, no, 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 no more of that. Oh. Straight across, find the duck, come straight back. So I knew that would probably be somewhere where I would struggle with her. Um, so I started doing a lot of retriever drills and that's kind of where training with those retriever groups helps. They got a lot of, uh, they got a lot of tips a little bit. We, we don't quite develop our dogs the same way. So, you know, they said, well, go ahead and whistle sitter. I'm like, well, can I lower? You know, I, I, and they're like, whoa, or I'm like, yeah, watch this, you know, whoa. And then, oh yeah, I guess whatever you have to do to get her to stop and look. Uh, so there was some stuff that, you know, they're like, you need to stop her right now. And I'm like, whoa. Um, so it kind of transfers, it kind of didn't. And I spent a lot of time working with her on handling drills and she was not getting it and not getting it and not getting it. And right in front of me, it worked great. As soon as I tried to get her more than 20 yards from me, it was a mess. She'd just go to whatever bumper she wanted to and was happy to bring it back to me. And, um, I was actually apprenticing at a test and it was, um, a couple of judges said, well, you're making this way too complicated. Then you got to go find a duck straight across. Tell them there's ducks straight across, and they'll go get them. And so that's what I just started doing. I just, I just did my. I went back to my basics of my piles and just started doing piles at, you know, 20 feet, and then just built out piles. I actually did ladders where you have, you know, I, I would have a bumper at 20 yards, 40 yards, 60 yards to just get that expansion until I was able to push her. Um, 150 to 170 on land, I could get her to run a straight line and she would go out, pick up a bumper, bring it back. And then 
I did most of that training with bumpers. I didn't I didn't introduce ducks till later just because she loves bumpers and saves a lot of cash. Now, were you using a back uh, command on that to get her to go straight, or was it just just a fetch? Or were you, so was there any handling type commands? Yeah, I started her with fetch, and then once I started, um, once she knew the, and understood it, I switched to back because the big thing that I realized with her was that. If she started wavering when going across, which she did in the test, so I'm glad I trained it, um, I could say her name, and she would look at me, and I could give her a back, and she would turn around and continue going straight. So how, what I worked on that a lot is I had her sit down in front of me, you know, 20, 30 yards from me, and give her the back cast to an established pile. So I had a white post yep. uh, that she saw, so she knew exactly where that was. Because the biggest thing is, is, is Nav is pretty good about making this so that there's not a ton of distractions. You know, you're, you're going to have a lot of birds that, you know, they can't help it sometimes. I've seen a, a, in Grinnell where there's been geese on the water, you know, but they're not, it's much easier for them to swim across the, before it is, you know, for them to take a left or a right. You know, in Grinnell, at Hawkeye chapter, for them to take a left is a long, long, long swim to land, hundreds and hundreds of yards. So the biggest, the biggest thing is if they do start veering off and trying to go somewhere else is being able to get them to turn around and get going the right way again. And so that's kind of where I, I quit doing all the left, you know, the overs and all of that stuff. And, and just relied on the fact that if I can get her to the other bank, the wind's going to kind of blow her downwind of the duck anyway. And, you know, once they hit the shore, they just kind of, their natural instinct takes over to the duck search and they just find the duck and bring it back. Um, so I, I had the ability to over her and it, it did, I did try it out a couple times at a hundred yards and it did work not reliably enough that, I mean, if I'm seeing it fall apart in the test, I'm going to try whatever I need to do. Um, but I really concentrated on back work and being able to get her attention if she was veering off and get her going back straight across. So I'm assuming when you got in the test and you said that you were able to do the one correction, you're allowed to do maybe just one correction during the invitational and still get a passing score on that blind. Yeah, when I asked about it, um, I you know I kind of asked around and said, "What what can I do?" And they said, "Well, as long as your dog takes the commands, you can handle as much as you need to. But how much do you need to handle for a hundred yards straight across the water blind? If you're if you're having to give." five, six, seven handles to get a dog to go straight across the body of water, you're probably not doing, something's not going very well for you. Um, in Timber's case, I lined her up. I gave her a back. She went out. She looked over her shoulder at me, and she saw all of the, the there was a little bit of downed trees and some stuff, and she went, ooh, duck search, and turned, and I just <laughs> said, Timber, back. And she turned around and went. And and that part of her blind wasn't any problem. She that's that's not a problem at all. And even if they pop a little bit, you'll be okay. Like you give them a back command and they take a couple steps and they go, "Did he really mean it?" And then they back up or they don't move and you give them yeah. another command and they go. Everybody understands how much obedience we're putting into these guys and they're they're pretty much second guessing everything they do by the time test comes around. Well, so you just described pretty much your preparation for the whole first test. How did it play out on test day for your first time out there? So I was second dog at the blind, which was probably the thing that I was most worried about. Um, just from a standpoint, not because of her going across, but so the, the big thing I did with her is I overtrained big time. Um, you know, 
when I described the test, I described it pretty quick. When you're running one dog or two dogs by yourself, you can run through this whole test multiple times in a day, especially the blind. You could do a hundred blinds in a day. Um, so the la the weekend before the invitational, I sent her across with no e-collar on, on her blind. And she picked up the duck, looked at me and spit it out and stood there. She is done just over it. And, uh, that is exactly what she did on the day of the test. Yep. I sent her. I had to give her one correction in the water, which she took great, took that handle, no problem. And I was like, whew, all right. And she got over there, picked the duck up, looked across the water at me and spit it out and just stared at me. Uh -huh. So I had to say fetch. She picked it back up and I went, all right. And then she just started pacing on the bank, just looking over at me. And I had to say here. And then she got in the water and came across. And about 20 yards from me, she took a left-hand turn and went up on the shore wide, was going to set the duck down again. I had to say here again. Um, and by that time, I pretty much knew what I where I was. I knew I was in trouble. Um, got her to me, and then we healed over to the honor where the I set her up, and the winger proceeded to malfunction. So I had to heal her out of that and around the corner while they reset everything. Um, and by that time she had realized what we were doing and she was super jacked. I mean, she was healing her back. Healing was rough. It was bad anyway, but healing her back down to that spot when she knew exactly what we were doing. Um, she got up and I had to woe her pretty hard to stop her from, from making that retrieve. Um, so I was pretty, pretty sure I knew where I was on that part of the test. So then I had to do the double next. Um, the double had always been really well, but again, she she just has always had that knack of wanting to kind of avoid. And in utility, when you have one retrieve, if you have to say here one time, you're okay. Yep. Well, there's so many more retrieves. There's so much more going on that when when I have to give her commands, you know, when she gets out of the water at the double and stands there, I have to say here, and I take the duck from her, and then she, she just wants to wander off. I have to call her back to me and resend her again. So kind of the same thing. Um, I healing down to the water was not good. Um, this is the dog that I missed a prize one due to healing and it never really got better. Unfortunately, uh, I, it did, but again, all, all this pressure and of all the things I was worried about, I thought I had my healing fixed and you know, it's easy to overlook a little thing and it can get you, um, healing out was terrible at the double. Um, <laughs> she, at, as we were going, as we were going across the line, uh, she was about 10 feet in front of me and I looked up at the gallery. I looked at where I was and I said, I am not, I am not finishing the double this way. So I stopped and I just said, timber heel. And I screamed it. I screamed heel. And she came running backwards to me and healed and looked down at her. And I said, that's bullshit. And we walked across <laughs> the line at heel. <laughs> they so, know better. Uh, the gallery, yeah, the gallery gave me a little like, bit of ribbing about that. You know? yeah. Oh, we almost came down there and healed with you. <laughs> so, so the, yeah, keep going. I don't mean to cut you off there, Charles. Yeah, you're fine. So then uh, I show up at the field thinking I got some time to decompress because I've gone basically back to back. I, I left, you know, and, those, and they told me when I got to the um, the double, they said, "Do you need a minute? Or are you okay?" And I go, "I think at this point I need to just go because." <laughs> she's a little, maybe a little tired from doing what she did. So maybe I can get her going, healing a little better or something. Um, so I, you know, hopped out and went and did that. I got to the field. Uh, the brace in front of me was, was out. So I had about 20 minutes there to hang out and kind of 
in a deep breath. Um, I knew where I was. I knew my healing was terrible. I mean, I just knew everything was probably, I had a lot of twos going in. I knew I was probably not going to pass. So in the field, I just decided that I was going to be the best absolute bracemate I could be. And I was not going to let her be naughty at all. Um, so when I was with my bracemate, I was super respectful. That's another thing. It's a big difference between AKC and NAVDA that I've seen. Um, it's very much a team thing in the field. Everybody, you know, the handlers talk to each other. The judges are always talking to the handlers. The gunners are talking to everybody. Everybody's wanting to do the best they can. They don't want to be the reason something happens. So when I was with my bracemate, I was super respectful, um, you know, handled super quiet. I, um, you know, I always walk back to my dog to release. I didn't even, I don't, I can say fetch, but in this case, I just tapped her on the head. I didn't even say fetch, um, all that stuff. But when we were separated, that little dog did exactly what I wanted her to do. And I didn't care how many commands it took. <laughs> so the field went great though. Just had a little, I had a little hiccup in studying this. She, she broke it shot when I was luckily separated from my bracemate. Um, so I would have felt terrible if something happened, but she did break it shot on one bird. But other than that, field was pretty good and and i wasn't wrong i got a two in the in the uh, blind retrieve i got a two in healing i got a two in the double um i got a two in uh cooperation but a three in obedience because every time i said something she did it but i had to say <laughs> it a lot so um so was that, that your first yeah was that um, your first invitational then with her yep i yep i, I had volunteered so in 14 i went and watched um, in 16, I volunteered um, and kind of had a pretty cool role at the Invitational where I, where I just kind of helped out the – belonged to the Hawkeye chapter. I just kind of helped out wherever they needed me. I was bouncing around a lot, so I got to see a lot of things um, and kind of get an idea of what I was going to be dealing with. Uh, I qualified in 17 and then ran her in 18, and that was my first one, yep. So was there any – when you – think back on it is there any one thing that pops up in your head that just you learned from that you applied to all the rest of the times that you went to invitational and trained for it uh i just i way toned back the amount of training i was doing so um we would you know especially because the year that uh that i went with timber in uh, in 18 i had a really good friend of mine who helps me a ton brad weeks was qualified um there was one, two, three people from the Heartland chapter that uh, were qualified. Um, and there was another member from Hawkeye qualified. So we were getting together and then a MOCAN member. So we were getting together a ton and training. And so I kept wanting to take advantage of these situations where I, we have, you know, seven, eight, ten people together. We all have multiple dogs. We can, you know, we had a we had a grip, a small Munsterlander. Um a short hair and a wine rider in that group. So, so we had, or two short hairs. So we had a, a really good collection of dogs to run braces with. Um, and I just, I probably, I know I did too much. I just, I know, I know her and I, I knew better and I still did it because you get all, you know, everybody at that time, I didn't own any wingers. So, you know, everybody's bringing their wingers out and I'm like, Oh, I can run all these scenarios and do all this stuff. And I just overtrained. She was just, she was just over it. It was boring. It was, she didn't want to do it anymore. And, um, that was the biggest thing that I took away from it is, is as much as big as the test is, when you break down the pieces, you can do a lot of those pieces over and over and over again, and you don't need to. Yeah. So we talked in depth kind of on how you trained the blind retrieve. I want to make sure that we, 
uh, cover the double mark and what you did to train on that. Um, can you go over that process for us? Yep. So with, with Timber, I started with both actually Timber and Arrow, the dogs that I ran the second time. Um, I did a very similar process. So um, the big thing is, is getting them set back up and ready to go again. So uh, in my mind, anyway, the marking, it's not a terribly hard mark. It is that wiper is, is fast and it really does distract them, but reps get them pretty good at that mark. Um, the big thing that I've found is that they have to come out and be ready to go again with timber. She was a little floaty. And even with arrow, I fought this a little bit where they get done with that first retrieve and they're kind of like, ah, you know, and getting them to be focused in. So a drill that I like to do was I would uh, throw a bumper out and as they're coming back, um, I would throw a bumper over the top of their head. So then they, they already know that marks there and it gets them to settle in and come right around into a heel and be ready to go again. That's how I do is swing into a heel. If you present to the front, I think it'd be a little more of a challenge. You'd have to take the bumper and then they'd have to come around and heel. I know people do it and it works. I just, I, I didn't train that way. So it's a little tougher for me to, to know how they would do that exactly. But I, I, that's a big drill that I did to try and get um, them refocused and ready to go. Uh, from there, I just basically started really wide. Um, I found that with my dogs that it was easier to do a super wide double. So if you think about it, um, and as far as degrees, you know, almost 100 to 120 degrees of separation between the two marks and at similar distances. Um, what I found is that I got, I got better with success than I did failure. So um, even if they did go to the old mark, so I, I did two marks, they go to the, I always send them on the last mark thrown because that's how the test was done. We have the benefit of knowing exactly what the test is going to be. The retriever guys don't have that. They have to train for every imaginable scenario and they show up on test day um, and they get what the setup is. So I, we have the benefit of knowing that the last bird thrown is going to be our go bird. So I always did that. And then that way, if they do break down, um, you know, and they do hit that first mark, if they're at similar distances, then it's easier for them to find. So I start wide to try to avoid that. I don't want them to, to go back to the same place. And then I slowly bring them together until they're completely in line. So then they're doing a complete in line double. And then I actually do the inverse. So then they start crossing each other and landing, you know, the, the left one is thrown from left to right and the right one is thrown from right to left. And they're actually landing near each other's wingers. So just, and then once I have them down doing solid with that, then I start playing with the distances as far as, um, you know, having them one, the one mark move closer, the other mark move farther away. And then once they have that down solid, I, I start doing triples. So I started introducing a third one just to keep them going and to keep it interesting. Um, I didn't do that with timber and I did it, I did it with arrow and it helped a lot. So do you do, uh, I'm assuming you're doing a little bit of lining work with the dogs when you're sending them on these, you know, directional type retrieves. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how you get them to go in the, in the correct direction first? Yep. So I do, they call it, uh, or at least I've heard it called clocking where you, you use your heel to have them face the same way that you are. So you can do, I did a, a lot of baseball drills where if you think about you're on the pitcher mound and then you have home plate first, second, third, you put a bumper at each location and you use your body to bring them around to which bumper you want them to pick up. Um, that was a, a really helpful drill. Um, 
So then when that short bird goes and you send them, what I did is I turned my whole body and I was already facing the long bird. So arrow knew the last time I ran and same thing with timber. They knew to come around and to be healed and they're already looking the right direction for that mark. Um, that also helped a lot with that kind of, I call it floatiness, where you take the mark from them and they kind of want to bounce around a little bit. When they know where the mark is, they're super focused and you can just build that repetition and then it just becomes normal and natural for them to stand and wait to be sent again because they know, they have the confidence to know where to go. Yeah, that's that's good. I think that gives everybody a good understanding and starting point for preparing for this. So let's get back into, so you went to the invitation on the test the first time you had, you learned and you learned that you probably over-prepared. Walk us through the first time that you actually passed the invitational. What was different in your mindset when you qualified the dog in utility and you're preparing again? Was it simply like what you were talking about earlier? You just didn't over-prepare to, to the point to where they're bored or what was your outlook and how was it different? The the big part too, so it's it's two different dogs too. So it was um, I knew going in that I had overtrained, and I knew that the Arrow was the second dog that I ran was also that way. The other thing about Arrow is sometimes there's dogs that just seem to show up on test day, and so you know Timber. It took me a couple tries to get a prize one. I, I think the third time I ran her, I got a prize one. Um, Arrow was the test day was the absolute best handling best day she ever ran like it was just super smooth and fluid and you know the only thing she got in her utility test is because she re-gripped the duck and i and she still had a crappy grip and i was like just get it to me we're doing so good and i just called her to me and said here you know just i know it's a bad grip girl but just get it over here so um i knew that as well um but the in preparing with her, it was also a smaller group. It was just me and another um, another gal named Tanya, two small ones trainers. Um, so I knew going in, I had overtrained. So I especially worked on that. And I also didn't spend two months attempting to teach overs. I just skipped it. I just didn't do it. I just did the back. I didn't worry about it. Um, again, these guys have great natural search. You know, the retriever guys, it'll drive them crazy to hear it, but just get across the water and you'll find a duck. Um, and so I just worked on that back command to make sure that if she did stray either way, that I could get her going back in the right direction. So I saved a lot of the time there. Um, the other thing was, is arrow came in, not a really great backing dog. Um, so I had to do a lot more preparation in the field with her, run her with a lot more different breeds. You know, Timber, the first dog I ran, would back anything standing there. I, you could put a lab on a sit stay, and she would come around and back it. Um, Arrow was not that way at all. So I knew I had already known that because one of the things that I preach whenever I go to training days is if you have any any inkling that you might even think about going to the Invitational when you're preparing for utility, run braces. It's all steadiness. Yeah. Um, even if your dog doesn't back, you, everybody's done the woe and watched them, you know, you've woed your dog and thrown a pigeon or woed your dog and thrown a bumper. It's the same thing. Whoa. Now watch the scenario play out. Um, so with her preparing for utility test, I had runner in braces and I kind of knew where I was. And so that hunting season, um, generally hunting's for me and the dogs to hunt. I don't generally train. I just have a few rules, which I said earlier, which is I had better, uh, 
I didn't say this one, but I have three. I had better flush the bird. Um, you had better retrieve it to hand, and you better back. So that hunting season, I just paid extra special attention to her, and every time she had a chance to back, I made sure she did it. And we came out of that hunting season. Um, she's, she acknowledged the other dog. She didn't always stop. Sometimes she sped up. But that means she sees the dog, which is half the battle. So oh. um, I spent a lot of time on that with her. That was another – I think that kind of um, divided my attention a little bit, knowing that I had to work on that. I didn't, whereas Timber, I didn't have to worry about it at all. I actually only ran her in the field as a bracemate to help my other friends that were preparing. I never actually ran her because I needed to. So with Arrow, I had to run her in the field. And so I was taking some of my time away where I maybe would have been overtraining the double or the blind. Um, and I was using it to train in the field. I also had a pretty good rule that I never trained back-to-back days, which I think helped me a lot. Um, and then if I, except for weekends, like on the weekends I would do, but I would give her a couple days off. So if we went and did a training weekend out at, um, Chris Hill's place with the Heartland chapter, then I would give her, you know, I wouldn't touch her maybe till Wednesday or Thursday. I wouldn't do anything, but you know, some healing or something. I just was really trying to be careful of, not wearing her out um, and keeping her interested. And um, that's another place where the retriever guys came in great. I mean, they, they can know all kinds of drills and, you know, if you stop doing doubles, just do really long singles, just, just get them focused on that marking ability and just do a bunch of long singles. Just you know, worry about the double. Yep. She can do a double, do a lot, do a couple long singles and then, um, you know, do a retired gun or do, do a live flyer, you know, let them see that duck fly up and get shot and get them all pumped and get out there on a fresh killed duck. Um, that kind of stuff helped a lot to, to, to just keep it fresh and fun. When, when you're doing those long retrieves like that, I just thought of this little on the retrieving side here, uh, on the retrieving dog side, but do you worry about like if they get offline or anything and you're going to. Yeah, I know you say you didn't do a whistle sit, but do you woe her and give her a back or anything? Is there any correction, or are you just trying to get her from point A to point B, and you don't care if she veers or off a little bit? So with um, a lot of times what we would do on those really long ones, I would just tell them I want to do what they call fire drill. So they would, especially anything over 100 yards, because I, my oldest can do it, no problem. I mean, she does, I've watched her do a 300-yard mark. She can do it. And I'll struggle a little bit more with the really long stuff. Um, and so a lot of times her longer marks until towards the end were what they call a fire drill, where they'll throw a mark, send the dog. And as the dog's running, they'll throw the mark again. And then they'll throw the mark again and keep that focus on them. And then they'll slowly wean them off of that. So they may halfway throw the mark. Um, so that was, I never really stopped her. Um, the retriever guys would definitely do that. They may even call them back and start over. I just tended to more worry about the um, the confidence to keep going. You haven't found it yet. Don't stop. Just keep going. You're going to find it. Yep. That was more of my goal with the really long marks, especially when you think about the double, um, you know, that on a windy day, that bird could blow. Even I land 50 yards, it might blow another 20 by the time you're done with the first bird. And so they may say it's supposed to be right there. I want you to just have the confidence to keep going. It's going to be there. You're going to find it. So. That's why I like doing that. Yeah. So, so you go through that invitational test, you're successful after all that time, energy, money, effort, the lessons learned from the first test and, you know, all the new drills that you applied and not overworking the dog. When they read your score out, 
describe how it felt and your first initial reaction that you finally accomplished the goal that you and your dog passed. Well, the biggest thing going into to arrow scores was I, my backing was, was very questionable. I was really worried. Um, I came over the hill once and she was backing and I was like, Oh, sweet. Um, I ran with a pretty fuzzy wire hair and I was, I was pretty worried. Um, she had another instance where the, her bracemate, I wasn't sure her bracemate was pointing. Um, my handling judge wasn't too sure. I didn't know what to do. I, I, in my head, I'm going, I just need to get her out of here. And I didn't do it. And, um, she ran through that dog, like ran in front of it, sniffed in the air and went no bird and kept hunting. Um, I don't know what happened with that. I don't know if they found a bird on that or not. I, but I was freaking out. Um, and so then I had another scenario where she was coming into back and it was questionable. She was kind of being creepy and stopping and creepy. And I had to well her, you know, uh, I was worried. I didn't know how they were going to judge that. And then, uh, at the end of it, they did set up another scenario and gave me a chance to back, which she, as I'm bringing her in to do the back right before she sees the dog, my bracemate sits. Cause this, this is, you know, we're an hour and 15 minutes in and it's hot. I mean, these dogs get tired. It's been standing there for five minutes trying to get me over there to get a back. And there, so I had to pull her away, you know, call her away and um, got the dog standing back up, came around. She absolutely nailed it. And I'm just, you know, uh, her sire um, is owned by Perry Masati, who's a, one of the photographers at the Invitational. And he was shooting her brace. And, and I'm like, I don't know, Perry. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And, and he's like, I think you're okay. I think you're okay. And I said, well, I don't know. I'm just going to go get fours and everything else. Um, oh, when they started reading scores and I heard a three in backing, there's actually a picture on Facebook somewhere where I have my hands in the air. Cause I was, I was pretty confident the rest of my day went really smooth. Yeah. And, and uh, it was, it was backing. And I just, when I heard that three in backing, I was, I tell you what, I bet all day that day. And the next day I felt like I couldn't catch my breath cause I've been holding it for so long. I just kept taking a deep breath. Um, I got done early enough that I probably drank too many beers before the scores too. So <laughs> I was pretty, uh, I felt pretty good. Cause I, I waited two hours and I said, I can't wait anymore. I got to have a beer. Nope. So, uh, I was super pumped. Um, it was really cool. Cause like I said, Perry's owns the sire. Um, this is the first litter that he sired and he was there. Um, a bunch of those New York guys kind of took me under their wing at the last invitational and, and they're a great, bunch of great, great group of guys and they were hooting and hollering and I got a water shower, you know, a cold bottle of water poured on me. And, um, it, it was, it was pretty, pretty special. It's, it's when they say, you know, when they, when they say a new VC, it's, it's pretty, the whole atmosphere of that test from the opening ceremonies to the end, they make it known that, that you're not, you know, you're in the top 1% of the 1% of the 1% of dogs. Um, and just to get there. So they make it pretty well known and it's a pretty special test. And man, I, I just took a deep breath again. Cause every time I think about it. <laughs> so, so it, after, it, uh, after that experience, I mean, what does it do to your goals? Does it make you want to take the gas pedal off or is it just like, Hey, I'm getting back here with the next dog. Mm-hmm. Let's get it going now. Nope. Make goes, make goes the next one. That's going to run utility. Um, uh, it's supposed to be, so I don't have anybody qualified this year. I ran one dog that I, I may or may not have run in the invitational anyway, if she'd gotten a prize one, but she ended up with a, a pretty high price too. And, 
Um, so I don't have anybody qualified this year. I get to just relax and, and help my chapter and do some gunning. Uh, Mako's going to run this year, which is our second youngest pup. Um, hopefully, I kind of hope that it ends up in New Mexico. I, I think it'd be pretty cool to go. Um, that's where the 2021 is scheduled to be as long as everything works out. Uh, and I'll be there. So either way, I'm going to go. It's it's a pretty cool event um, to be able, you know, there's a lot of people that I see once a year, and that's where I see them. And it's like I saw them last week. Everybody is is super, uh, just a big group of great people, from the judges to the volunteers to everybody um, that's there to help, and even even people that are just there to watch. Everybody's rooting for everybody. You know, it's not like a trial where there's first, second, third. You don't have to worry about that. Everybody wants everybody to pass. And uh, yeah, when you hear a new VC, it's it's pretty special. So no, I, I'm going to keep rolling with it. I'm I got. Uh, Mako to run. My girlfriend got this new puppy that's gonna. She's just five months old, and it's gonna be her her journey with her. So hopefully, we get her there too. Yeah. So, is there anything you know, looking back over the whole journey, is there anything that you would um, say stands out in your mind that you would give as like your number one piece of advice to these average handlers that are thinking about running an invitational one day? A tough question <laughs> it is a little bit of a tough question uh i say i would say the biggest thing is think of anything that can go wrong and practice it so like i said in my uh first run the winger malfunctioned and i had to eel away from the honor of retrieve we practice every winger malfunction we practice the birds going out in the wrong order you know we practice the gun not going off and and i mean we practice all of that stuff Think about that. Um, you know, in the field, you're going to have multiple wild flushes. You're going to have tons of birds running around. Practice with a bracemate that doesn't back. I mean, there's it, it happens. You get dogs that just don't back. Practice with dogs that aren't steady. Practice with loud handlers. Practice. Just try to think of every scenario. And that's where a lot of times the chapter help comes in. You know, there's even if you have one person in the chapter that's been there one time, they can tell you something screwed up, you know, something weird they heard or saw or whatever. And, and don't be afraid to set something up that that your dog may fail at, and and see where your holes are in that. Um, that that was a big part of our training was, especially with the wingers. Man, they're a mechanical device, and you're sticking a dead duck in it. And if that head comes out, it can easily, you know, flop and end up being a mark that lands right at the edge of the water. And you got to practice for that kind of stuff because if you shot a duck there, you sure sh- we wouldn't leave it. You know, you'd go get it anyway. So. Um, that would be my, my big piece of advice is to just practice the weird stuff because it's a, it's a big day and you work really hard to get there and it'd, it'd be really terrible for, you know, just something weird to happen for that to be what takes you out. So that makes sense. That's perfect. Well, Charles, I think that makes perfect sense to close on right there. And, uh, before we let you go, do you have anything that you want to plug? I know you mentioned that you do some training earlier. Do you have anything that you want to direct people to, to get a hold of you? Yep. We're, um, honor point kennels. We're on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, we have a webpage, but it's, it's, I haven't worked on it in forever. So it pretty much just redirects to Facebook where we're pretty active. Uh, my Instagram is roaming versatile, uh, cause I tend to travel and, hunt a lot so um you can you can look there we we pretty active on the honor point page um especially during testing season 
I do very limited training. Most of the time I'm booked up. Uh, I don't have a, you know, a kennel facility. The dogs come and live in my house with me. Um, so I basically just try to do it to not, to try to somewhat cover my bird bill. Cause when you're running <laughs> two utility dogs and an invitational dog, you go through some chucker. Yeah. Um, on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. I, I got to know my bird guy really, really well. I have a great relationship with him and that's probably invaluable. So, uh, but those, that's the places. Check us out. Um, yep. Honor point kennels. Well, good deal, Charles. We do appreciate and, uh, this. Um, sorry, Dad, were you going to say something else? Yeah, I just going to give a shout out. I know, um, I know uh, the small ones being in the groups from Chris Hill. Um, a yep. big part of her, of me having a VC is Chris. They are the absolute nicest people, and they are the the picture of NAVDA. I mean, absolutely opened up their property to, to us. You know, we train out there all the time. You can do a whole invitation on our property from an hour long in the field, just multiple ponds to do doubles on. You can do a blind retrieve anywhere from uh, 80 yards to 130 yards on our property. Um, I told her when I passed, I called her and said, I, I got a VC because of you. I mean, it, 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 I, couldn't, I couldn't have done it without her. And Heartland and Hawkeye support. Chapter support is huge. Um, you know, you need gunners. You need lots of people walking because, like I said, you're going to have five, six, seven people in the field. And the only way to replicate that is to have them out there with you. So a uh, huge shout out to Hunting Hills Kennel. Uh, for helping us out because we definitely needed it perfect i think that wraps it up and uh yeah that's what we all love about navda it's a community and everybody roots for each other and that's why we wanted to get you on because you embody that just as much as chris hill just like you mentioned and uh yeah i think this was great and we really appreciate you coming on charles appreciate it all right charles thanks man Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.